morning, everybody. Still writing my script <clears throat> as we crash in five minutes late. I'm not used to the deadlines of these things yet. Uh, happy hump day. Welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's political editor, John Stevens. Morning, John. Hey, morning, Susie. Is this your first week back at work or have you been uh, working? I was back on Friday, so kind of slightly eased myself in the end of last week. But yeah, was <laughs> Monday was horrific for, for many, many people, I think. Um, but we've just about managed to get through it. Um, <clears throat> nearly the end of the week. Well, halfway through anyway. Now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments. Ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on the podcast will just have to hand back your glittering honours and hope it all goes away. So what have we got for you today? Well, the Mirror has splashed on an investigation into how the firm behind the post office computer scandal still makes £100 million a year from taxpayers. More on that in a bit. But first, I want to take us to page 26, where it seems, John, there's a lot of people who don't want Rishi Sunak to wait until autumn to hold a general election. Um, what's this about? Can you take us through it? Yeah, so Rishi Sunak, obviously, there's been a lot of pressure on him to hold a general election. It seems pretty likely we're going to have one at some point this year. There's a possibility he could wait till next January, but the government said it will happen at some point this year. And with all the problems the country's facing, a lot of people are saying, well, we should just get on with it now. Why wait any longer? Rishi Sunak, last week when he was asked about this, he said his working assumption was that it will be in the second half of the year. But we've had a petition going now for quite a bit of time on whether the government should just get on and call a general election. Now it's on the 38 Degrees website. If you search general election now and 38 Degrees, it comes up. And yesterday we got to the milestone where 200,000 people have now signed that petition saying they just want the government to get on with it and give people a vote on who they want in power. So why did we set this petition up? I mean, obviously, it's a way of expressing the view, isn't it, to some extent? And I suppose someone would say, oh, you're only kicking the government, all the rest of it. But if you if you, if you you have a right to general elections and you think it's being held out to the very last minute, people can get very frustrated, can't they? And um, all kinds of things can happen. And so I suppose, why, is this just the way the mirror kind of just giving people a bit of a voice to express themselves, I suppose, a bit? Yeah, the petition was actually set up in the wake of Liz Truss announcing she was stepping down as Prime Minister. That's when the petition started. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, for a bit of time, but it's picked up again recently in the last few weeks where we've had more discussion about a general election. And I think the main motivation why it started was that obviously people did have an election in 2019 when Boris Johnson managed to get that majority, but the government has chopped and changed a lot since then. So we had <laughs> Boris Johnson for a couple of years. We obviously he left after Partygate and the row mm -hmm. over different sleaze scandals. Then we had Liz Truss came in. She promised all these tax cuts. She sent the economy into uh, meltdown. And now we've got Rishi Sunak, who seems to have ditched loads of policies that were in that Tory manifesto that they were elected on in 2019. Obviously, back then, ahead of the election, the Tories promised and Rishi Sunak stood on that manifesto that they weren't going to raise income tax, national insurance and VAT. But when Boris Johnson was prime minister and Rishi Sunak was chancellor, they decided to put up national insurance at its highest ever level. So, yeah, they did get elected on that manifesto in 2019. They seem to have chucked it in the bin. And so I think there's a feeling of a lot of voters that... Fine. If you're going to move away from that manifesto, if you're just going to make it up as you go along, that perhaps it's time for them to <laughs> their say again. Yeah. And Liz Truss resigning um, as Prime Minister. It seems like a century ago. 
all <laughs> aged so much since then. Um, so 200,000 is quite a lot of signatures for a petition. Uh, presumably it's indicative of much wider support sort of across the country and so on. And Rishi knows this, right? I mean, he gets heckled when he goes out. He sees the polling data. He's had the mirror chicken after him. He can't be in any doubt that other people do want a general election sooner rather than later and that he's probably not going to win it. He's not going to change his mind because of any of that, though, is he? So what might make him change his mind? You know, for example, if the Rwanda bill uh, gets bogged down in, in party division and arguing, rebellions, if he loses a vote, his party becomes ungovernable. What could force that general election a bit sooner, do you think? Well, I think it's possible that something does force it, something bad happens. And I think that over the last couple of months, you've heard lots of people saying, well, Rishi Sunak might just delay a general election and hope that something turns up. But just as much as something good could turn up for him to help him, something bad could turn up as well. Remember the rack scandal with dodgy concrete in schools? If we had another thing like that came along or we're going to be talking in a minute about the post office scandal. But another thing like that, where the blame really was put at the government's door, then I think that would make things even more difficult for Rishi Sunak going into an election. So he could decide just go earlier now before anything else goes wrong. I think that one of the things that may persuade him to change his mind, we've got a budget on March the 6th. We uh, looks like, or all the hinting that we've been hearing from people like Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, and Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister, is that they're going to announce some more tax cuts in that. And if you look at the opinion polls over the last few months, they haven't really moved at all. Labour has been about 20 points ahead of the Tory party. I think there was one out yesterday from YouGov showing that support for Labour has now double the support for the Tory party. And nothing really seems to have changed that. The Tory conference last October didn't really move the dial. We had the autumn statement a couple of months ago when they announced they were going to change rate of national insurance again that didn't really change things for them i think if you did have a massive tax cutting bonanza in this budget on march the 6th and then you did start to see the opinion polls moving then i think that rishi sunak's working assumption that you're going to have the election in the second half of the year he might just forget that and think i may as well just go for it now yeah and it's, <clears throat> it depends doesn't it really i suppose an awful lot of things and do you think then I suppose that we might have this possibility that Keir Starmer reckons that we're going to have this May election, which, of course, the difference is, uh, viewers, if you have a like an October election, let's say, it's more likely to be rainy, it's more likely to be dark, it's more likely to be cold. There are some voters, usually Labour, who are less likely to vote, but you're going to find it more difficult to get your activists out on the doorsteps as well. You may be heading into another NHS crisis. Whereas if you have a general election in May, the thinking always goes that, you know, it's sunnier, it's warmer, people are feeling more positive and upbeat, you get more Labour voters out. You know, there's ups and downs for both. But do you think May could well be in the going then? Because that's about six weeks, could be six weeks after the March. Yeah, and I think the, the another reason why you might go earlier is in May you do have a lot of local elections and there's a possibility that hundreds of Tory councillors lose their seats. And uh -huh. so Tory councillors or, or councillors of all parties are some of the people who do the most canvassing for political parties. And so it's possible the Tories think, well, do it in May. The councillors are having to campaign for themselves. They're help campaign for the big party as well. Whereas if you do it after they've lost their seats, then people might not be quite so inclined to come out and campaign for you. Yeah, very interesting. What do you think, everybody? Do you think we're headed for an early election than uh, than Rishi would like? Or do you think we're heading for one later? Rachel says, I think spring to many new mortgage there are too many new mortgage renewals this year. There'll be more boats in the summer. Let's face it, many of his voters are passing away. <sighs> Rachel, 
Uh, <clears throat> it is entirely possible, of course, that uh, things don't go the way Rishi Sunak wants. Nothing has so far. So why would anything change? Um, right. Thank you for that, John. Now we need to move on to the main story of the day and this continuing fury over the post office scandal, which has risen its ugly head again after 20 years of reporting on this, it should be said, because of an ITV drama which made more people a bit more aware of it. Now, this is when uh, sub postmasters and mistresses were hounded through the courts for fraud and theft because of money that was missing from the computer systems, when all along it was the computer system that was at fault. Now, the CEO of the post office at the time was a lady called Paula Venels, an ordained priest, would you believe? There she is. Uh, and she was awarded the CBE for her work. Now, after public pressure and petitions to strip her of the gong, she has handed it back, which is just as well, because it was going to be ripped away from her otherwise. Is that enough, John? I mean, is that the end of the scandal now? She hands back her shiny thing and all is well with the world suddenly. Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm surprised it's taken until now for her to hand back that CBE. We've seen that petition. I mean, talk about petitions, the petition saying that Paula Venel should be stripped of her CBE. That got to 1.2 million people had signed that. Obviously, that story's been rumbling around for days and weeks. And finally, she announced yesterday that she was going to hand back their CBE. I think the attention now on that front is turning to bonus payments she got in her time as chief executive of the post office, she got about 2.2 million pounds in bonus payments. And Kevin Hollenwake, who's the post office minister, he was on the radio just now before I came on here, and he was asked, could she be forced to hand back those bonus payments at the end of the public inquiry into this scandal? <laughs> that is one of the possibilities. But this clearly isn't just about one woman. It isn't just about the post office. There are loads of fronts in this story. Now you've got Fujitsu, who was the IT company who came up with this Horizon software that was dodgy and was wrongly showing that post office masters didn't have enough of cash in their tills. So there are questions about what happens to them. Do they continue to get government contracts? You've got the problem of all the hundreds of postmasters who were wrongly convicted and accused of thought fraud and theft. Mm. Hundreds of those still haven't had their convictions overturned. We're expecting the government will have to take some action on that. Probably quite likely that will be announced today at midday when it's prime minister's questions. And then you've also got the problem of compensation that loads of those people who were impacted, loads of people who had a massive effect on their lives. You know, we know that several people took their own lives. People were bankrupted. People lost their uh, homes. People's relationships broke down. Lots of those people still haven't had proper compensation. And I think that there'll be a lot of pressure on the government now to finally sort that out and make sure, I mean, clearly you can never compensate people properly for what they went through, but you can make some steps towards that by giving them some money to make up for the loss that they've had. Yeah, and this is a big, horrible, ugly mess in so many ways. Um, Helen on Twitter says, the post office stole that money with menaces from hardworking sub-postmasters and mistresses, then closed them down and hounded them to ruin, despair and tragically death in some cases. It wasn't just a gross injustice, but actual fraud and theft. They found time to hand themselves fat bonuses, of course. Now there's talk of Venels and her board of directors at the time handing back some of their bonuses. But of course, I don't know if there's actually a, a mechanism to get that to happen. But of more import, perhaps, is this fact that Fujitsu, the firm behind the computer system, as you said, John, actually sells loads of computer systems into government and is making a fortune out of it. According to this investigation in the mirror, the Fujitsu files, it makes £100 million a year, including sometimes suing the government for cash when the computer systems don't quite work properly. 
and getting compensated for it. Now, contracts include the Home Office, the Foreign Office, DEFRA, the MOD, the NHS, court systems. Now, the government's suddenly not going to pull all those contracts just like that. But is this perhaps, you think, John, why the scandal was overlooked by ministers for so long? You know, Fujitsu was such an essential cog in the machinery of government. Um, it worked so well in other places, they probably wrongly thought. It must be right that looking at it too closely as well was just going to cause too much trouble because they'd have to end up pulling all these contracts, wouldn't they, in the end? Yeah, and you can see the difficulty with cancelling existing contracts. So Fujitsu have got the contract to run things like the police national database, which holds everyone's criminal records. Suddenly, if overnight you said, well, you can no longer have involvement in that, there'd be questions about, uh, well, how do you hand it over to someone else? You can see why that would be difficulty. Uh, well, that would be hard, rather. But one of the questions being asked is like, fine, you may not strip them of their existing contracts, but why are you continuing to give them more contracts? And yesterday I spoke to Kate Osborne, who's the Labour MP for Jarrow, one of her constituents, Christopher Head, um, he used to be Britain's youngest postmaster. He was wrongly accused of uh, false accounting. He ended up uh, being pursued by the post office. I think they said that there was an £88,000 shortfall in the end. He was pursued by the post office. He ended up being driven out of business. She's someone who's been campaigning on this issue for a long time. And she was saying to me that, she uh, raised this issue in the House of Commons in October 2022 and said we should stop handing out fresh contracts to Fujitsu. Obviously, that's not happened. They continue to keep getting contracts. There was one the other week where they got uh, an extension to their role in the floods alert system. Remember last year when we all got that message on our mobile phones, you know, that emergency warning system that they were testing out. Or we, I say we all got it. Some people didn't get it because of problems with it. That was something that's a Fujitsu contract they're getting paid to run. And so the question is, why are the government continuing to hand a lot of this uh, company money when there have been serious problems? When the government are asked about it, they say, well, there's a public inquiry ongoing being led by Sir Wynn Williams that it started in 2020 it's meant to end by the end of this year and they're saying it wouldn't be right to stop handing them contracts until the conclusion of that public inquiry uh, but I think a lot of people are asking well maybe it would be sensible for the time being at least to pause them getting any new contracts fine carry on with the existing ones but stop mm -hmm. giving them any more of our money. Exactly at least look like you're being critical uh, and, and taking a critical view of things rather than just carry on wildly throwing cash at something. I mean, you know, the, the text alert that everybody did or didn't get it, it didn't work properly. I mean, uh -huh. so it just proves, doesn't it, that it's not necessarily, I mean, sometimes these big IT systems are very difficult to build and run and maintain and everything else, but you're going to have only a few market leaders in that that you can actually get these contracts from, I suspect. It's probably why Fujitsu's got so many of them. But <clears throat> they should be set into certain standards. Now, on pages, Michael says, it's a bit like COVID. Sadly, no one will ever be held properly accountable. Who knows, Michael? We'll have to wait to hear from that inquiry, won't we? But on pages four and five of the paper today is the story of Peter Holmes. Now, he is an ex-police officer who was so honest that he once drove all the way from home back to a restaurant after realising they hadn't charged him for his pudding. Now, he was accused of stealing £46,000 from his post office. He was offered a very raw plea bargain deal in return to not go to jail because he was diabetic. He took it and was devastated to find himself all over the news, you know, disgraced ex-copper. 
He died six years before his name was finally exonerated. And there are so many other cases of people who took their own lives, people who died in misery, people forced to pay hundreds of thousands of pounds, lose their homes, something they didn't do. And it's got to be said, John, that these the investigations themselves were appalling. I mean, none of them had flash cars and jewellery or gambling problems. They couldn't find where the money had gone to because it didn't exist, of course. It was pretend money that the, the computer had wrongly totted up. Um, but so, you know, if it was the CPS that had led those prosecutions or the police, they would have said, well, there's no cash gone, so you don't have a trail. You wouldn't be able to find this. Um, in fact, lots of there was lots of evidence that they were telling the truth because there was traces of the sub postmasters paying from their own bank account into the post office system to try and make the difference up when it started getting a bit big. And all this happened really because the post office is allowed under law to run its own prosecutions. It's like 500 years or something. It's been allowed to do this. Its experts were given bonuses depending on how much money they clawed back from their victims. So of course they've all got screwed to the floor. So rather than handing back a gong, is it surely the, the best thing to do is to fix it, is to ensure that the post office never gets to prosecute anybody ever again. And that prosecution's just it's the CPS from now on and that's that. Yeah, I think that would be something that sounds quite sensible. I think that the government's been saying that actually the post office haven't used the <coughs> rights that they've got in the last few years since this all came about. But obviously uh it seems to be quite a sensible argument that they shouldn't be allowed to do it again that should some steps should be taking place that if fine I mean, even if they aren't doing it at the moment they aren't able to do it in the future but you just think i mean this is another story this guy peter holmes where you just think no wonder it wrecked these people's lives they were upstanding members of their community they had these brilliant reputations and then suddenly overnight they were being accused publicly of having their hand in the till and you can just see how it destroyed these people and watching the ITV drama the thing that really struck me was when these people rang up the Horizon helpline and said help I don't know what's going wrong suddenly it's claiming that there's thousands of pounds missing all of them have been told well we're not having this problem with anyone else it's just you so these people felt totally isolated they felt alone and you can see why people were kind of thrown into depression, complete misery, and just felt absolutely alone in this. And just thought, gosh, I just don't know what I'm doing wrong here. That they didn't get any proper support at the time. They were being totally misled. And obviously it led to some people blaming their own partners. People think, what, what are you doing wrong? That you, you must be doing something massively wrong that the till thinks you're out by several, ten, like several tens of thousands of pounds. You can see how it really did put absolutely awful pressure on people. And it's just really hard reading stories like this about the human impact that it had on people, that it really did destroy lives. Yeah, the pressure under for so long because, well, the horizon system didn't just, you know, suddenly find 10 grand missing. It found a tenth of a penny and another tenth of a penny and another tenth of a penny. And it just built up over time and there's a slight problem and you start fixing it. And before you know it, it just dragged into this horrible nightmare. <clears throat> Sutcliffe says, was it a numerical glitch? Did they fritter away actual money from the system? It was a glitch in the accounting software. So when, you know, for example, you're supposed to be counting 10 pence the Fujitsu machine was counting 9.99 pence. And just over time, it just totted up to big losses because lots of money used to go across post office counters, pensions, savings, goodness knows how much else. So it was a it was a big thing. Mike says it's the same as with rail franchises. There are multiple failures that don't lead to cancellation of contracts, but extensions of them instead. Someone should maybe be looking at party donations by these companies. 
Interestingly, Mike, um, <clears throat> of course, the, the mirror has looked into the fact that many of the post office uh, people involved in the, sorry, the Fujitsu people are involved, have made been to Tory donors, made donations to the party. But you've got to remember, these contracts were handed out and the post office scandal spanned governments of multiple parties, right? Labour, Lib Dem, under the coalition and Tories, they, they were all involved. <clears throat> there seems to be this institutional inability to actually double check what was going on. Because one of the things that would have happened with the CPS, John, is that if there was one sub postmaster who was prosecuted for taking money and he kept saying, it's not me, it's the computer. And then there was another one and then there's another one and then there's another one. Someone at the CPS would have joined the dots up. But when that happened at the post office, each postmaster didn't know there was another one with the same problem. Which is one of the things that, you know, the Mr. Bates drama has shown up, isn't it? There's no joined up thinking across the system. Yeah, and I definitely think the point you were making about <laughs> how these people who were, if the computer was right and they would suddenly take in 40,000, 60,000, 80,000 pounds of money, you would expect to have found that they would have changed their lives in some way, that they were going on flashy holidays, they were buying cars, they were handing money over to relations. But as you said, it was the total opposite of that. Lots of people were having to remortgage their homes because they were trying to make up these shortfalls themselves. So rather than having all this money swirling around, it was the complete opposite. So you'd think it would have occurred to someone. Also, you'd think it would occur to someone that suddenly, uh, if you had this spate of loads of postmasters with their hands in the till, which is what, if you listen to the post office, that's what they thought was going on. You think it would have occurred to someone to think, well, maybe there is something going on wrong here that we're suddenly recruiting loads of thieves. Maybe there's a problem with our recruitment process. But obviously that wasn't the case at all. There was nothing wrong with what these people were doing. They weren't doing something wrong. It was all about the computer system. And I think that clearly people like Paula Venels didn't deliberately think, well, I should go out of my way to ruin the lives of postmasters. But something should have clicked somewhere with someone to realise that something wasn't quite adding up. And maybe it well, there was a connection between introducing this new computer system and suddenly there had been a raft of prosecutions against postmasters. Yeah, it started very soon after the new computer system. But there was this assumption, wasn't there, that computers were infallible and human beings weren't. And, <clears throat> you know, the, the fact of saying people should have cottoned on earlier, there's been 20 years of reporting on this. There's been lots of talk about, um, you know, journalists didn't pick up on this until the ICV drama. Nah, uh -uh. The journalists were reporting on this. It was in Computer Weekly. It was in the mainstream press. H here and there throughout the noughties, the 2010s, 2020s. Go and Google it. You can find that I'm right. What really kicked it off is that the public weren't aware of it because it wasn't an ICV drama. When the public started getting to really care about it, then the government had to do something, the politicians had to act, and then the press had to make more of it rather than having it as like a page lead, somewhere on page 26, suddenly it's on the front page. And that's all because of public awareness. The government and the media responds to public awareness. Um, and <clears throat> unfortunately, it's just, it's one of those things where your sub postmaster, all they hear is the local village, the sub postmaster's got done for fiddling the till and you go, good Lord, his next policeman. I didn't think he was up to that. And that's it. Until you start really piecing it together and seeing it all put together as you did in that in that ITV drama. Malcolm says, <coughs> it's frightening that a computer company is commanding most of our security systems. How much of our security is at risk? I know I'm not highlighting the post office issues, but there's a lot of misjustice in other circles. There is. Um, and all these things get digitized. And there are flaws in all of it, which is why every ransomware and hack attack that we hear about in the news happens, I suppose. 
and that's why people do tend to exploit these things. Karen says this should be all be on the tech company and the post office to pay out, not on the taxpayer. I think, Karen, that the post office has put money aside to pay out to the sub postmasters. But because the rate of convictions being overturned is really slow, the rate of payout is very slow. And also they're, they're capped the payments, haven't they, John, at what, 600 grand? So even if you lost a million pounds, you're only going to get the 600 grand back maximum. Some of them are getting far less. Yeah, I mean, the £600,000 thing is if you have your conviction uh, overturned, then they will offer you an immediate £600,000 and you can get that, no questions asked. That's an immediate payment. If you are, if you think you are owed more than £600,000, then you can go through a proper process, which takes slightly longer, but you might end up with slightly more money. But that 600000 is just a first offer for people who have just been waiting for this for so long, don't want to go through anything else, don't want the kind of bonus to through their medical records or anything like that. That's just an option for people who just think, I've had enough of this, I just want it sorted immediately. Yeah, but well, what do you think, everybody? Do you think that um, this is going to get fixed? Do you think that the post office should be allowed to keep on doing its own prosecutions? Do you think these Fujitsu contracts perhaps should be just put on ice until we um, actually figure out what was going wrong and actually get it sorted? Leslie says, doesn't every company, including IT companies, have insurance to cover such compensation payments? You would have thought if they get government contracts, they have to have some liability insurance, Leslie. Um, who knows? <clears throat> I imagine that's where some of the cash may have come from anyway. Um, OK, thanks for that, everybody. Uh, now, we do have some good news. We have managed to find for you in the world. My voice isn't going to wait any much longer. <clears throat> so we have found some good news in the world for you. And here it is. Now, there isn't much that's more upsetting, really, than losing a treasured family heirloom. And Penelope Watson went for a swim off the Dorset coast and lost off her hand, unfortunately, both her mum's and her grand's wedding rings uh, while going for a little splash. Now, um, she was moaning about it on a WhatsApp group. And someone told her to ring Darren Wiles, a man who's dubbed the Lord of the Rings for being able to find lost jewellery. And even though he couldn't get down to the beach for five days... Um, he using a, pic, a photograph of where and some arrows of where Penelope said she had been swimming when she lost them. He actually managed to find both of them. The first ring was her mother's and then 20 foot away, um, her grand's ring just lost in the sand there. Now, it's an amazing find to be able to get that back. Rings lost in the sea, for goodness sake. And I suppose it restores a bit of your, your lost mum and grand as well. So, John, is this is this proof? Do you think there's nothing so precious as a ring? Oh, you can just imagine the absolute heartbreak if you were uh, Penelope, the lady who lost this rings. I mean, to lose one of the rings would have been absolutely awful, but to lose both of them. And one of them was her mother, Sheila, who died in a car crash in um, 2021. So oh, obviously you'd be just gutted. That's like one thing you've got, one token that's a reminder of your loved one. But to have lose your mother's ring and your grandmother's ring in one go, you would be, you'd just be, absolutely um distraught wouldn't you and you would think that there wasn't any hope at all just losing them in the sea you just think well that is something that's gone away it's never going to be found again but this guy darren seems to have this amazing talent i don't know what's i mean i don't know the difference between different types of metal detectors i don't know whether it's all his skill or whether it's the skill of his metal detector but I mean, the figures in the article, I mean, it says that he has reunited 194 people with 211 bits of property. So this guy, I mean, maybe we should be putting him forward for a Pride of Britain award. Uh, just seems to be doing amazing work. 
at reuniting people with their lost. Maybe he should have been investigating the post office lost money. He would have found where it had gone. It was in the Fujitsu circuit boards all along. <laughs> Maybe there's many things that Darren can sort out for us. But yeah, what a guy and the relief that people must feel when they get their loved uh, items back must be um, incredible. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? Well done, Darren. And I think he does it all for free as well. So he just does it as a sort of favourite of people. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, and now just to round up quickly on the Fujitsu story on Twitter, Glynis says, how much faith do we have that the public inquiry will not simply find answers to these questions, but the government actually puts into effect strategies to ensure that nothing like this can happen again? What is going to change? We have public inquiries coming back fairly regularly. We've got contaminated blood inquiry coming back in March. And they all seem to say, well, this went wrong and that went wrong. We've got COVID's going to come back at some point as well. We know what went wrong with that. Boris went wrong with that. And the government that he led of absolute chaos. But, you know, what changes? It seems we keep having these scandals. They keep trickling along. And nuclear veterans, you know, nothing ever really gets properly fixed. What do we think that the, you know, the post office inquiry is? Is there going to be an actual sort of thirst? I suppose by the time the post office inquiry comes back, you may have a change of government. Are the Labour Party going to sort of actually enact some of these things and, and make some proper reasonable changes? Or are we going to have the same situation we do under the Tories? Well, I think that uh, clearly this issue has captivated the public. There were millions of people who watched that drama over Christmas. And so... I think it's James Arbuthnot, who's the former Tory MP, who was one of the people who cottoned on to this very early. He was interviewed the other day and he said it would be electoral suicide for the government if they don't show that they're taking proper action on this. So on this specific scandal, I think clearly you're going to see big announcements. As I said, I think at lunchtime today, you'll probably get the announcement they're going to exonerate all of the post offices, postmasters who were convicted over this. But as you say, big questions about how, what action will they actually take to make sure this ha doesn't happen again? And maybe when people come forward in the future and there's lots of little people coming forward in different places saying there's a problem here, maybe people will listen to them and think, well, maybe there is something in what they're saying. Yeah, maybe don't always trust the computer because it's not always, especially if it comes from Fujitsu, because it's not always necessarily right. Right, thank you for all that, John. Thank you, everyone, for taking part in your questions. My voice is going to have to go and have a little rest now. Loving the jumpers, says Rachel. It's just, it's actually ski thermals, plus an old T-shirt with holes in, plus a jumper I'm wearing for going out in the garden next. So <clears throat> it's not terribly, it's, compared to John's nice smart suit. Yeah. <laughs> But thank you, Rachel, anyway, for your kind words. Um, right, join us all again on Monday for another edition of the News Agenda. Please listen to the podcast and watch the reviews so other people can find us. Until then, everybody, stay safe and see you next week. Tatty, bye.